Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode two of the Sunglasses Indoors podcast. I have with me, virtually in spirit, my friend Sergio. Hey, hey. Hey, hey. What's the, uh, what's the story? Oh, man. The story today is initially we're going to talk about the nice guys epidemic pandemic worldwide the pandemic the global the global fucking just toxicity of the nice guy syndrome this is a disease affecting one out of every one out of every I'm gonna go that far I'm gonna go one far. out of Most every of- you know what you're probably correct in one out of every I don't think any man on this planet is innocent of at least one time falling into the nice guy trap because I know that I have like the thing is about the nice guy degenerative disease is that it's it could come back at different points in your life. The thing it is, can manifest right. at any point too. We'll we'll delve we'll delve into this in into some detail. But how do we uh, how do we want to approach this? Because it's it's a bit of a delicate topic. So up to you. Because I'm thinking we might come back to this one on the next episode. But right now. I'm really feeling the discussion on before the the movie before sunset. Before, okay. Uh, well, it's still you know clear in my head. All right, that's fair enough. So if you uh, if you listened last week, um, we discussed uh, in great depth the uh, the hit 1995 movie b- before sunrise, and uh, Sergio, um, to my delight, has actually sat down and watched the the follow up to that movie, which came out nine years later called uh before sunset and um uh, apparently he he uh is under the influence that this one is far superior than the first one and i'd really love to uh i'd love to understand why and i i I agree i i am fully aware that the second one is just a literal (laughs) it's a it's a masterpiece it is a work of absolute art it's man like so kind of covering just in case you didn't listen to the last episode is like so the first one was a very um we'll say like these are people at different points in their life i think the cool part about it yeah. is in the same way there were nine years between the first movie mm-hmm. and the sequel there's also nine chronological years in this world with these exactly. characters so it's actually been nine years since they right. saw each other and initially yep. right there are people in their early 20s and me watching and i was like I was like, this isn't real anymore. Like, I was just like, this is nice. Yes, I felt this before. But, like, I'm like, this, like, you, you didn't get into the uncomfortable stuff. You guys didn't argue the enough. Sense, the sense of maturation in the second movie is unparalleled, I think. Yeah. Because not only, not, it's, it's really, it's something special. Because if you watched the, the first movie, when it came out in 1995, if you were in your 20s in 95, nine years later, you know, you're, if you were 25, nine years later, you're 34, like your 40s are coming right around the corner. Right. And not only do the characters mature, but I think the audience matures, has matured just by time itself along with the characters. And I think that's a really interesting parallel. Yeah, man. It, it's just the thing was like, I remember mentioning, I was like, I would love to see what these two characters are like uh-huh. um, after they grow up a little bit. Yeah. They grew up. It hits you they hard. Grew up a lot. It hits you hard. So um, we can give a quick little synopsis of, of the second movie if you like. It's fresh in your head. So if you wanna if you wanna break it down, go ahead and break it down. 
Yeah, so not getting too technical, uh, basically what you need to know is that the first one, these are two people that met for one day, had like a once in a lifetime encounter, just raw chemistry, but it's very much uh, an extremely romanticized tone, which isn't necessarily false, but there's, right. you know, depending how far your knowledge is or how much you're willing to go into the abstractness of the concept of love, there's a lot right. more to be said than just that raw passion that you feel on the inside at the very beginning. Exactly. And in this next one, it kind of addresses that because there is that initial attraction, that chemistry. Oh, you know, they like all the same stuff. I like, and can you believe they went there too? I was like, oh my God, okay. <laughs> that's happened before. Uh, but then there's also, it's like, oh, like it turns out, oh man, I'm, I'm trying not to put, pull out my own life <laughs> out here, but it's like, you know, you'll find something about their past that maybe you're not too eager about, or maybe there's a belief that you're not too eager about, or maybe they did something to you, and now it's kind of hard to view mm -hmm. them through innocent lenses again. Right. Um, and, and that's just a regular part of life, and that, that doesn't make people, it's like, oh, they're not good enough because they're not perfect. No, it's just there's more subtlety to interpersonal relationships, and um, with this one, I feel like they really nailed that down. That like, I think... I think they really nail down the realism of what happens in a chance encounter and when time goes by and how things may fizzle away. They, they addressed that, I think, on the boat. They were like, how, how, do, how are we supposed to know that we weren't going to, to hate each other after nine years? And I think Jesse goes, oh, like the way we hate each other right now? Right, right. Which, um, when that happens, like, the first thing it makes me think of, it's, you know, I've, I've only been in, in one relationship, but I, I've gone on a series of dates. And like, the thing is like when, you know, you go on a few dates with someone and it's like, it's cool. It's fine. Like, all right, maybe this could go somewhere for whatever reason, one of you backs out. Okay. This is ultimately how most things go. Right. Of course. Backs out. And then at some point you have to see them again. And I think we don't have really to, unless you work with them. Why? Uh, but like, <laughs> <laughs> which but very well run, may be the case anyway um but i'm saying like running into them you know like something oh, yeah. will happen and you have to speak with these people again and there's <laughs> varying degrees of it but i think what they really nail on is listen man like something may not have worked out for whatever x y and z but you two will always have a level of unspoken chemistry Right. no one can really take that away from you. What hit me the most, I think, with that movie was how they talked about their inability or incapacity to feel that same amount of love that they initially felt to each other, which it kind of freaks me out thinking about that, you know? Thinking about having that one person who, like, changed Every single Everything. thing in your life that when that ends or when something happens, something you know drastic happens and that's gone, that that ability to feel that feeling again goes along with it. And that genuinely terrifies me. I actually had a thought about it when you're talking about that feeling going away. It was, um, I've made this joke before. I would even made fun of you with it before where it's like, <laughs> oh, well, we'll pick a name. I'm thinking of someone. I don't know any way. I do know of Vanessa. I'm trying to think like the most. Jill. I don't know any Jills. All right. Jill, there. sure. Jill. Um, like, oh man, like I, I remember Jill used to do that. You know, grass, 
Jill, Jill, Jill used to drink water. <laughs> right? Like, Jill everything. breathed. Oh, God, it hurts. <laughs> Jill used to say my name. Um, <laughs> Jill used to tell me how many times I've respected women. Um, but <laughs> Yeah, so like, much, much like Morty, but like, so, so here's my idea. It's, it's a little drawn out, so bear with me. So I, I, I've had that experience where, you know, you, you're in a slump, something didn't work out, and now everything reminds you of that person, right? Really and, and it's almost like it, you're like, am I, like, mentally ill? Like, am I going crazy? Is this normal? Um, but I, I had a realization. It took me a long time to kind of put it together. But it was, like, the reason you associate everything with them right like for a little bit when you're going through that withdrawal period dude yeah that withdrawal period can last a long fucking time yeah that withdrawal period um, the reason i think is my own theory is because at one point you had imagined your life with them one point one point oh but you see what i'm that's putting it lightly you see what I'm saying? So I understand completely what you're saying. Because you had that deep inside you, whether you're aware of it or not, now you have to reframe. No, no, you become your own worst enemy. Point. You become your own worst, your own worst enemy with your own thoughts. Exactly. You psych yourself out into thinking uh, that this fantasy you have in your head is going to become a reality. And you psych yourself out because in your head you say, you know, why couldn't it? You know, why is this a fantasy? You don't really understand that the fantasy is a fantasy while the fantasy is more or less a reality at the time. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So it's hard to differentiate the two. Yeah. Even when people tell you, especially like you've told me how many times you're like, yo, Eric, this is a, I don't know how long this, this, you know, this is able to sustain itself. And I didn't listen. Uh, Who am I, you know, who am I going to listen to except for myself? Right. And I think a lot of people think that way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it, it's one of those things where, like, you know, ultimately, um, like, I, I like to help my friends in whichever way I, I can. And um, to me, it's something I realized because I went through it myself was like, you know, I can say whatever I want. I could give sobering advice, but unless you feel the need for that sobriety, yeah. It's not going to make a world of difference. And that was me, like, basically not being very far. I used to get upset at my friends. I'd you know, even upset at you sometimes. Like, you just do it. I'm like, there's no point in getting upset because at this point in time, you're just not getting it because you're so deep in this thing right now. Uh, yeah, it totally. It doesn't make any sense. And so it, again, yeah, there's no point even. Right, right. And then I had to understand when I went through myself and I remember I had a friend of mine getting really upset. He's like, dude, all you ever do is talk about that shit. It's like, well, you don't understand how disappointing this was. Yeah. <laughs> like, like it, it's not that I want to talk to that about them this much. I just really need to get it out of my. Yeah, exactly. So I, I totally move get on that. in a healthy way. Like there's, I can't suppress it. Like it, yeah. it just took up so much of my time. You know? And when you do suppress it, it, eats away at you like it's it's job to man i totally understand like i don't when when i talk about things like that i nine times out of ten i don't want advice i don't want Mm. people to like say what i should do what i can do like what you know you know you uh gotta do this and this to make yourself feel better you gotta cut this out you gotta block this person no i don't want to hear that 
What I want to do is uh, talk. I want, yeah. I want someone to listen and be like, I get it. You can talk. You can get it off your chest. That means so much more than any piece of advice anyone can give me. Right. There's, um, there's a really powerful thing. I think it was not, not Charles Manson. Who's that guy that dresses up like a girl? Why am I blanking out on this? There's a lot. I don't know. Charles. Nah, Alice. Nah, what was that Alice guy? Alice Cooper, that, Boy George. He had that rib removed so he could fillet Oh, himself. Marilyn Manson. Charles Marilyn Manson. Manson that, Marilyn Manson. They, um, they were asking <laughs> a bunch of celebrities, <laughs> you know, if they had a chance to speak to the Columbine shooters, what would they have said to them? Huh. And uh, Marilyn Manson said something surprisingly insightful. And he said, um, you know, I, I wouldn't have told them anything. I, I would have asked them, like, I would have had them talk to me. Cause Was this on a documentary? Perhaps. But he's like, they just need someone to listen to them. Yeah, I think I think I heard that. I think it was a documentary. Oh, what was his name, the director? Was Wasn't it called, Moore? like, Michael Moore, Bowling for Columbine, right? Bowling for Columbine, yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, he's spot on. He's spot on. He's on the money. And, um, again, when you're talking about that, like, just that, I was talking about a, to a friend of this just yesterday. It's like uh, men have this, like, like tendency to either go full um, what I'm calling the purpose-driven life. And that's not even original. Someone told me it's like the purpose-driven life where everything has to have a goal or you go to the opposite spectrum and you go to sad boy city. It's no. like we, we only know how to live in extremes, right? <laughs> that's really true. That is really true. We know how to yeah. live in extremes when extreme things happen to us. Yeah. You know, it's, I don't know if it's a defense mechanism or what it is, if it's just something built inside of us that we have to, when, when an extreme thing happens, we either have to go to one side of an extreme or the other side of the extreme. That's it. There's no men, men are horrible at, at balance. I, I honestly <laughs> That's like, so true. This is one of the wonderful things about it's so women true. Is, is like a good, a good girl. She doesn't even have to be your girlfriend. Just Dude, even your mom can give you solid we advice. We are like, so irrational. We are so irrational yeah. when bad things happen to us. You know, women are a lot better. It's like, you know, find balance. Hey, may maybe you should just do that one thing. And it's like, oh, damn, you, you were right. I'm dropping. And like, I'm I've, I've talked to girls after big breakups. And, you know, they handle it, for the most part, so much better than I could possibly ever imagine, imagine handling a breakup. Mm. I don't know what it is. If they have just more mental fortitude than I do. Uh, obviously, I'm speaking on behalf of myself. I can't speak on behalf of everyone. Right, of, of all men. Right, right. So, you know, got to avoid those overgeneralizations. But sure, sure. As, as a man, as someone who uh, technically is a man. <laughs> XY chromosomes. Uh, uh, yeah, exactly. And fifty cents. As, as someone with, uh, who uh, is legally a man. Um, uh, what was I going to say? Like I, I know that when I when 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 shit when shit hits the fan with me, I turn off. You know, right. I get into this slump where I don't want to see anybody, I don't want to hear from anybody, I don't want to talk to anyone. I want to be alone on my own with my thoughts to really just wallow in my own sadness for God knows how long. And I I don't know why that happens, but you know everyone I've talked to who like goes through the same thing that I went through is always like, you got to get out there. 
You gotta, you gotta be active. You gotta run. You gotta go to the gym. You gotta eat healthy. Which, which, which is the the male approach is like find something else. Don't come to face with your enemy. <laughs> like run away from <laughs> it. Like, um, I've been told so many times, like if you want to get over it, you just gotta put your dick in something else. And I, I, gen- oh, I can't, I, I can't get behind that. Honestly, I've tried it, and I'm not, I'm not gonna lie. I have tried it, and it is fucking awful. Like it's, it's embarrassing to admit. But there have been times where I've done that and I've cried after. It's not Damn. fun. It's not fun for anybody involved, especially oh, the person. You're going wrong on this podcast. <laughs> hey, man, I don't give a shit. Nah, no, we need that, man. We need exactly. that. Um, we exactly. Need, we need this openness, especially, you know, with men to not feel like they have to bottle these things up and they have to internalize it because that really, it eats away at you and it creates, you know, this is my theory it creates that nice guy syndrome where they, yeah. where they get this victim mentality where they think like the world owes them something. And that something is usually, uh, for lack of a better word, pussy. Look, here's, there's two things I have to say. The first one, it's like the world owes me something. One of the realizations, and again, I gotta be honest, I came to realize this recently. This is a recent discovery <laughs> for me. Okay. Where it was like, it's not about because because of Hollywood, because of um, all this, you know, all the r- romantic love songs you've consumed, because of Disney, all these things. Like, you've been told that someone's gonna fix all your problems. That's so that, true. You know, you're looking at what someone offers you, but it's like you ever ask yourself what you're offering someone? Like, seriously, what are you bringing to the table? Yeah. You, you got a yeah. job. You but got these a these. Are you at least loving enough? Like, these guys have this distorted self-image where they think they're God's gift from earth. Like their penis is literally crafted by the gods and any woman who doesn't want it is in the wrong somehow. Like they, they think their penis is a blessing, you know, and right, right. <laughs> it's a gift. Like chill out, dude. Uh, you know, if you think you're like, – what, what was that Bo Burnham song? If you, think you're, if you think your dick is a gift, I promise it's not. <laughs> Wow. Yikes. I need, a, I need to find those lyrics right now. Yeah, well, look them up. Um, there's, I think it's in one of like the Indian religions. Um, it's like the holy touch. It's like a, a guru would touch you and by touching you would transmit his holiness. That's how they think their huh. penis works. Um, <laughs> but, but while you look up those lyrics, the yeah, one thing that to me is always rang true is uh, if you ever watch Mad Men, there's a scene with a uh, Don Draper, main character, John John Ham's character, is he lets down his family. I forget exactly what he does, but it's this scene, man. It's the end of season two, I think, where it's just sit him sitting. His whole house is empty. He's sitting on the stairwell, and Bob Dylan's "Don't Think Twice" is all right. Like he's just looking down. Oh, he's not crying, man. but you know he's right. So hey, well, it ain't no use in sit and wonder why, but like that. The fact that I was listening to that on my way home today is just, it's too much. Just frame that. Like, (laughs) I can take that to every single dude around the world. It's like, tell me, tell me you haven't felt, like, ever. Don't, Don't you lie to me, man. Like, you've been there. That's happened to you. All right. I, I found the lyrics. I'll, I'll read them out. It's, it's going to be hard for me to not like sing them out, but I'll try to reading them out. It's really funny. Yeah. Oh, you haven't listened to him. Check him out. You probably have listened to him. He's really famous. But anyway, so the lyric goes, you want a girl that's nice, a girl that's not obsessed with their looks, but is insanely hot. The kind of girl that you can show to your folks loves the movies that you like and always laughs at your jokes. 
a real girl, a hot girl, a really hot girl, a brand new really hot real doll, <laughs> wants to impress you, doesn't care if you notice, and only ever uses you to tickle your throat with. <laughs> you might think this girl only exists in your mind. Well, she's real, but last week she died. <laughs> if you want love, lower your expectations a lot. You might think your dick is a gift. I promise it's not. It's not. It's not, fellas. It's really not. If you're a guy and you're listening to this, if you're out there in the world and you think you have this sort of sense of entitlement that because you respect women, because you treat them nicely, that you automatically get to stick your dick in them. Well, guess what? You can't. It doesn't work that way, fellas. It just doesn't. Eric, I got, I got some crazy news for some of these folks. Oh, boy. All right, go for it. What have I told you? Oh? They're, they're human beings just like you. Oh, yeah? With their own desires. With their own desires and insecurities. I don't believe it. And it's, and it's almost as if you need to get to know someone before they're willing to get naked in front of you. That's what they want you to think. That's just liberal propaganda. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, nah, dude. But I guess switching gears a little. Um, so going back to that's kind of the stuff we're getting on right now. That's what I felt that film before sunset mm -hmm. kind of let it out is just kind of once you get past this idealizing fantasizing again you're putting expletive on the pedestal um you see it, it toes the line between fantasy and reality i think in a really really tightrope kind of way very very right. tightrope kind of way because right. it is of course a drama you know, it, sure. it's supposed to be dramatic. It's, a, it's supposed to be, you know, something that people can watch and they go like, oh, I wish that were me. But, you know, because I, I said this before last time that I relate so hard to this film series because I can put myself in that situation. And this right. film, as opposed, to this, uh, as opposed to the first one, really hammers home that reality of finding someone, losing them, and wondering if that spark is still there and going through the entire motion of, again, a, heav a, heavily, a heavily dialogued movie as opposed to a certain sort of plot. And what's interesting is that the movie takes place in real time. So, like, the moment the movie starts to the moment the movie finishes is that entire length of time. I don't know how to explain there's it, really. There's, there's, no, there's no real cuts in it at all. No. So, like, the movie's an hour and a half, maybe? Yeah. So, in, in the movie universe an hour and a half goes by you know like how a movie can like stretch like years or months in, in no no this, is in film. this one takes place exactly, in yeah. that hour and a half so that entire movie is just them walking around paris this time for an hour and a half and again i have the uh before sunrise and before sunset uh screenplay right in front of me and uh, do you want to know where right. i got this book from wait did you get it from the shakespeare's and co I, you bet your sweet ass. Dude. Okay. So side note, Shakespeare and co is like one of the most famous. That's Hemingway's dude. It's Hemingway's bookshop world. And it's yeah. Hemingway's bookshop. You had Gertrude Stein. You had all these. You like, got, um, uh, Ezra. Fuck. What's his name? Ezra pound. Yeah. That's him. Yeah. 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 And in that man. movie, Oh, that's cool. So you bought it at the same place the movie was I Yeah, I walked into, when I was in wow. Paris a few weeks ago, I walked into the bookshop because obviously I had to. And um, I just see, I see the screenplay right there and I pick it up and the girl behind the counter uh, comes over to me and she goes, oh, you know, um, Ethan, Ethan Hawke was actually uh, in, this, in this shop uh, a few weeks ago. And I was like, 
he, he was fucking he fucking what what and he goes yeah i mean he comes by every every once in a while he's a he's a huge uh book file i don't i don't bibliophile i guess is the word bibliophile, I think, yeah. um and she was like yeah he he comes here uh every so often you know he, there's a cafe right next door so people or not people but like people who he knows here like just come and get a coffee with him i'm like why did i not come just two weeks before my life would have been made to hang out with ethan hawk at the shakespeare and co bookshop would have been the highlight of my entire life by far but anyway like, getting, getting the screenplay I, there was cool enough uh why do i feel like 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 you wouldn't have left without him at least giving you a kiss on the cheek, Eric. How, how, do, how do I know? I mean, I can't deny it. I, I wish I could sit here and say you're wrong, but you're really not. No, that, that is. And really you know, in France, they do the double, the double cheek kiss. No, actually, they do three, don't they? I don't know. Well, with three Corona, right? everything right now is a bit bad. Uh, no, no one's kissing. Down, right so now. No one's kissing nobody. Yeah. Unfortunately. Uh, it, it is what it is. Um, but but yeah, so. I think that's the great part where it kind of covers that like love gained, love lost kind of thing. And I actually mm. wrote down one of the quotes that I, I loved it. It was, um, but what, what's the name of the girl, the girl in the movie? Celine. Celine or Celine. She said, she's like, it's like, I guess when you're young, you just believe there will be many people with whom you mm-hmm. connect. Exactly. Life, exactly. That line gives me so much anxiety. You don't even understand. You realize it only happens a few times. And I was like, I was torn. Because so like much part anxiety. Of me, part of me wants to be optimistic. I was like, well, maybe, maybe that's not entirely true. Maybe there's still like a bunch of No, I think it is, man. I really, I genuinely believe that. That's why this, this going back to uh, Jill, this uh, breakup with Jill fucked me up as bad as it did. Because I... If Jill, that's going to be our go-to, just the fake uh, yeah. Jill. Okay, Jill. we'll use Jill. Um, because I had a connection with this, with this individual that I didn't think was possible to have with another human being. And I've, I've, of course I've watched before sunset loads of times and I've, I've, that line, like, I don't, it's kind of funny that you wrote it down and it's the one line that really stuck with me all this time is that it's so true that you really don't know how many more connections you're going to have in your life. If you're going to have any as strong as that initial connection. And I think that's why this, this, uh, you know, this grieving phase and this, you know, this kind of introspective position I've been put in for the last few months has been as difficult as it has been because the, 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 uh, the realization that, you know, the, the connection I had will probably not happen again is one that as someone who kind of thrives off of human connection and intimate human connection, that, you know, it's a scary, it's a scary and sobering realization to come to terms with. Yeah. And what it brings to mind is I, I would consider this like one of the truths of like human relationships. Um, and, and one of them was, uh, you're making me think of another great film, like Casablanca with we'll mm. always have Paris. Yep. That line fucked me up too, man. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and and it's and it's tricky because again, and now you we can look at it from another way. I, I remember like, you know, say being seventeen, eighteen, and I thought when, like, when did we meet again? Nineteen. Uh, I was nineteen. I think you were twenty. Uh, yeah, that checks out. Yeah, that checks out. Yeah, yeah. As I was, it was my first. I was back. I think it was like no. My I first was nineteen year. because I started working at the Y when I was nineteen, and you got me the Y job. Not wait, wait, hold on. 
I, I think was, I turned I was, 20 that year. So maybe we were both 19 at the time. Yeah, because we I was still playing with uh, I was still playing with the with the lads. With that, with that, uh, band with that, we're not going to mention because we don't want them to get any. <laughs> dude, the band doesn't exist anymore. I don't think. <laughs> oh well, I know like the band that came out of that band is still around. There were like um, five bands that came out of that band. We all just branched out somewhere. That's the thing with bands. It's like, uh, when does it stop? Like I, I knew this one kid in high school. Like I, he would always promote his bands, and I had to tell him like, he's like, oh, dude, did you see my band? Uh, just posted on Facebook, man. I'm like, yeah. Like, how do you tell? Have, how do you tell a friend that their band sounds shitty? I, no, it wasn't that. It's like I just gotta be real with you, man. Like, you're in a new band every other week. I can't keep <laughs> up with it. I I had to unfollow you. <laughs> I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I I couldn't do this anymore. He's like, oh, no, that's cool, man. I get it. I'm like, all right, like, sweet, but. You know, um, what can you do? What, what what can you do? But yeah. Um, so again, like, you know, 17, 18, like I was really, uh, I don't even put it like enamored. I think I was just being stupid. Um, is this but, about who uh, I'm thinking? Oh no, not who you're, this is way back. This is okay. like, this is prehistory. This is someone I don't even, prehistory. About. I, I don't even think about this person. But anyway, but at that point I was like, oh man, like you're so cool. And again, you build this imaginary castle in the sky. Right. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, there, and then this is the lie you tell yourself. They're like, oh, I just, you know, I don't think there's anyone else. I just, you know, they, they were so. And then as time goes by, you don't even think about that person. You meet people that impact your life in more meaningful ways and create new memories that surpass and put the previous ones way in the dirt. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So there's also that. It is hard when you're, when you're feeling the feels, you know, when you're feeling the feels to have that sort of optimistic outlook. Oh, it's I'd say I'd go as far as to say it's, it's virtually impossible to be optimistic when when you're you know you're you're in it. Oh, when you when you're in it, it's like you just you just kind of need a wall in your pain. <laughs> like just let you it do, out. Like, you do, but there's wall. it has to be to an extent. You know what did what did Socrates say? Everything in moderation. Did Socrates say that? Someone said it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Socrates said a lot of stuff. He also said you got to pay the toll if you want to get inside this. Anyway. <laughs> you got to pay the troll toll to get into the boys uh, hole? Yeah, yeah. yeah Was that so Socrates or Danny DeVito? I don't know. Uh, what's the difference, right? <laughs> so true. <laughs> um, I, I like the Joey Diaz version. He's like, I don't know dick. I don't know dick about dick. <laughs> From East Bergman. Coming up in North Bend County, you know. Between <laughs> 58th Street, there was this Cuban guy. He's called Domingo. You go up to him. He used to always have coke on him. I say nothing. I was like eight years old. I was like, oh, sorry. I used to smoke weed in Piscataway. <laughs> yeah, this dude. Down under the bridge. <laughs> he used to uh, want to hang out with Duncan and the guys from under the bridge. <laughs> Oh they man, this is the greatest crossover. Under the bridge, they left a bunch of denim, Charlie. Why Charlie, we perfectly good denim. We gotta make the boiled denim, Charlie. Get the boiled denim. Oh, anyway, we were we, we went right off the rails here. That that got that got meta. That got we went really right meta. off the rails. Got always sunny, and you had Joey Diaz. <laughs> wow. Um, Where the hell were we? But we're, we're talking about before sunset, and okay, so. Talking about all the great things about that movie, there is one thing I'm curious about, and now I have to. And I you gotta, gotta get to the third one. Like, you gotta get to the third one. Yeah, did they screw? 
as if I'm going to tell you that. See, okay, because like you so got to get to for, the third one. If I tell right, you, it'll ruin the entire third movie. If they now, do the or if reason, they don't. Okay, okay, okay. Now the reason that's so important. Well, what do you think? What do you what do you, what, do you, what is your hypothesis? Because right, the movie I'll ends on a bit of a cliffhanger. It is a cliffhanger. So for just for context, for those of you that may or may not have watched it, is like. So these two, they reconnect. These are people that had like this once in a while lifetime encounter 10 years ago. In the meantime, the guy is actually married and has a kid. Mm-hmm. Now, in the meantime, the girl's had a tough time finding like a meaningful relationship. She's engaged. She is... Oh, she's engaged. She's engaged. Oh, wow. No, she has a boyfriend. Sorry. She's okay, been in a relationship. Well, she's in a relationship. She says she's like happy-ish, but like uh, yeah. something's always been missing. She can't really give herself away to anyone. Happy-ish, right? It's like good enough. Um, and, and Jesse's miserable. And Jazzy's pretty unhappy in his In a loveless and, marriage. In a loveless marriage that's basically all commitment, no passion at this point. Well, commitment like, to the kid, no less. Commitment to the kid, not even to his wife. Um, yeah. But they go up to her apartment and it just kind of ends. Like he's like laying on some kind of couch. It's not her bed, but it's like... Well, it's first to, it's first important to mention that in the movie, they did not explicitly dwell on the fact that they still had that connection they had nine years ago. No, they never said it. They never explicitly said it. They don't, they don't, it's such a subtle way of doing it. It's genius. They only, they only expose that connection through their talking and their dialogue and the way they look at each other and the way they speak to each other. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's one of the most beautifully done movies. (laughs) And I, I will die on this hill. And, and like Sergio was saying, they, after, after a long, because he's got a flight to catch, which right, is an important, exactly. that is, again, the enemy is time, time. like the first one. And um, so he's got a flight to catch in like an hour or two. So that's why their time is so limited to that hour and a half movie. And, and he keeps delaying because he really, they've only should have talked for me like 20 minutes. Yeah, no, you can, I, that's why I think you can tell from the first conversation what's going to happen anyway uh so they get to her apartment she invites him inside and oh my god she starts playing a song that she wrote about him oh yeah, when i first when i first watched that i have that song on my spotify playlist when i first watched that i fucking wept i don't care i let the tears fall down like it was niagara falls it was gut-wrenching. Um, and he just sits there with this look on his face. And then she goes, honey, you are going to miss your plane. And then he goes, I, I know. know. And it ends. It ends. And it's like, so, so here's, like, I guess my issue with it, now I have to watch the third one, is I was like, you're a married man. <laughs> like, dude, like, dude like, the like third me. one, the third one is going to rip your heart out. Oh, I, I'm, I'm ready for it's it. It's going but... to destroy you like it destroyed me. Good. I, I need that sometimes. But... It is. It, it gets, the movies get realer and realer as they go on. The third one, I don't want to spoil anything, but there's a climax at the close, at, in the third act, there's a third act climax. And holy, holy shit. Holy shit. It is one of the most real scenes in cinema history. 20 years worth of buildup. 20 years worth of build-up and fallout. Uh, I don't want to say fight. You just got to watch it. No, no. I mean, like, you can kind of see where it's going. But the, the thing is, like, 
okay, now I'm looking at it like obviously this is fiction, but mm-hmm. you know, there's a there's a level of uh, there's, a, there's a level of realness in it. Of course, there's a level of realness, and it's like okay, so without my suspension of disbelief, I was like, you know, there's a certain point where it's acceptable for them to be talking, and I feel like they broke it the second he went over her place. Like to, to me, the way I'm are you it, are you speaking from like a purely adulterous standpoint? I'm speaking from adulteress because I know if I had a wife, there's no way I would be able to go home and tell her that. Well, here's the thing. Again, putting myself in the situation, um, as you know, Sergio, as you're probably well aware, um, the, the relationship I had with this Jill individual was right. not a monogamous relationship. Yeah, that was... And it was not monogamous for about two and a half years. And it, wasn't monog- it, it was monogamous on my part. So I'm not saying I'm absolved of sins, um, but... No, I'm not saying this, like... This, this is why like- this is so real for me, is because, you know, these situations in the movie where you might have to suspend your disbelief, I don't have to, because right. I, I don't have a disbelief. This is all real. Right, right, right. So... Again, so we're looking at it. I'm thinking about thinking about how to say it. it's like you were essentially the other man. I'll I'll just put it that way. Yeah, I was the side um, piece. I was the uh, the maelstress. You were the maelstress, and my thing is okay. Looking from the other point of view, again, this is just me. I'm not here to tell you how you should feel or where you should put your morals. But if I had to go through that, my thing would be it's like okay, like I don't like lying, right? And to me, sure look who knows if i'll have that problem in you know my marriage years yeah but see i wasn't lying though that's the thing right 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 so like i i don't know i'm gonna have i wasn't the one living the double life right so you you were all like uh, you you were for for all intents and purposes my conscience was clean you know right right maybe it shouldn't have been maybe that was a bit misguided but if i'm being honest it was clean still is You, you weren't it's like you weren't quote unquote cheating, but you were letting someone else cheat. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. uh, And it's tricky because then you also knew. She wasn't married. Like she wasn't married, but you knew how strained that relationship was. And anyway, (laughs) that that's look, what you did was not, we'll say model behavior. Um, No, no, I'm not arguing that by any stretch of the means. Yeah, but again, so for me... And that's uh, why this, it. it's because real relationships aren't this sort of picturesque Hollywood, you know, um, like fairy tale sort of Disney relationships. They're, they're messy. They're real relationships are messy you? and they're hurtful and they, you know, they're zigzag and diagonal. It's never, it's never a clean line of you know what i'm trying to trying to get at here yeah yeah it's like what have i told you they're hard work just like anything worthwhile they're not just hard work but they're they they have the potential to be this hard and you know coarse and rough and just hurtful thing that two people voluntarily put themselves into right right. (laughs) and in some cases more than two people Oh man, I feel kind of bad for laughing, but it is comical. Um, <laughs> yeah, so again, so that that's the thing. It's like okay, so assuming I were a married man, now I have a children, child, 
this mm-hmm. person. I was like, sure. I don't like lying. And my thing is like, it's like up to a certain point, it's okay. And that's why I'm saying when they went to her place, it was like, okay, you ran into like, you know, someone. Well, for them, it was a one night stand. No, she found him. She, they didn't run in. She knew he was there. Oh, she found him. Well, okay. Well, this person found. Anyway, you spent time with, uh, in the most ambiguous terms, with an old flame, an old lover, right? You spent time with them. And it's like fine in a way, but now here's the, the problematic part of it is like, there's still the real world and there's still the people you were committed to hmm. before this event oh, about an hour and a half or an I like, hour and a half. I like how you said the real world. No, you see what I mean? I do completely. And that's just not, oh, okay. Like if, okay. If I was married to someone and my wife told me I ran into my ex, I was like, okay, like go on. I would, right? be a little, like, I would, be, I would feel a little uncomfy. I'd be uncomfortable, but I'm like, go on right like tell me like and then they tell me oh i'm like okay that makes me uncomfortable but then thinking we'd at least have some level of honest communication i'd at least be able to understand and know that's not something that's really and this is assuming that the relationship with your wife is one of love and support and trust exactly you know and that's the thing with jesse in in the in the story is that his relationship with his wife isn't really addressed as 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 far as as he says that uh you know, he's just not happy that he's in a loveless marriage and that the reason they're still together is because of his son. Right, right. So again, so having that whole thing, I'd be like, all right, you did that. They're like, okay. I'm like, I think I could do up till coffee. I think that's up to the okay. point where I could still, I'm like, all right. So yeah, if, you, I'm if, like, your all wife, right if your wife invited, if your wife invited her ex-boyfriend into her apartment with just the two of them. Absolutely not. Even, even if nothing little, happened. That's not okay, Chief. There's boundaries. I'm sorry. Like, maybe okay. some people are okay with that, but I would be extremely... No, I get it. I, I totally get it. I would be upset. Because that's our freaking home. I'd be completely... Why are you true. bringing this clown in here? I, I, I totally get that. You know, and hey, some people different, but I'm saying me, I would be uncomfortable. And, and this is one thing uh, Slavoj Zizek says very well, and he, he talks about love being um, all-consuming. Hmm. in the sense that again this is his own theory i know there's polyamorous whatever i'm sorry i'm not one of you but this is his man's theory (laughs) i don't (laughs) think i was either but apparently right right it's like it needs to be between two individuals because in a way it's selfish and all consuming and when it gets divided between people it starts becoming pragmatic where I need you for this and I need you for that. And then the oh, way is when I you dropping you, truth I get... bombs. <laughs> this is right? hitting too hard. It gets pragmatic. And look, listen, I had a buddy of mine tell me this story. He was, uh, man, he was 25. He'd gone back to school for a second degree. He was a radiologist, right? Oh, um, but he decided to go back to school. He's making good money anyway. Smart and kid. he has this long distance relationship with this chick. We'll call Jill. That's going to be what we just call. They're all Jills now. Sure. Um, <laughs> with this Jill chick, they break up, I think, about two months into his first semester there. They get Oof. back together during a little before spring break. Everything's fine. And then they break up again, I think, three weeks later. And here's the twisted part about it is, um, you know, she was. Uh, look she needed sex there's no there's no other like mm. easy way to say it like she's someone that you know she was really horny at the time she really wanted him around at all times but the thing is that's something he couldn't do 
and it's not something she was willing to accept or be mature enough. Did she that, like, sleep hey, around or did she break up with him first? Please tell me she broke up with him first. I think she might have. I think she might have hooked up with a guy before no. breaking up. With him. I, I don't remember. I think that's might have been the way it got. Oh. It's been a while. But that here's the twisted hurts. part. Here's the twisted part. That she wasn't the twisted tell, part. That that's not it. She would tell him all the stuff, so they would Facetime. Wait, I'm sorry. What? Tell, yeah. And then she would tell him all this stuff after the fact. And she said that guy wasn't as good enough of his lover as him. And is this woman a psychopath? <laughs> is this woman an actual psychopath? Dude, like, she's crazy. I don't know what else. Like, like actually, like, very, Do you, you know. Do you remember that story when we were walking around this, <laughs> when we were walking around the fucking Princeton Cemetery of, um, of uh, Christ, that friend you had who like called that one girl while she was in oh, bed with another dude. Oh, that was horrible. That was horrible. That, that, that's another one. Um, yeah. This is separate. This is separate. But um, yeah. So, and she would tell him all this stuff and they had a weird thing for a while, which a she would go like, Jesus. And, and the poor guy, this poor sap that went through it and like he signed up for it, you know, anyway. And like, he would kind of go with it in his hopes that she would leave that guy and they would do stuff <laughs> on the camera. And it's like, ah, <laughs> Look, um, last time I found out about it, because I, I don't really keep in touch with him anymore, is he, he got married, he's got a kid now, he, he has a job, he's, he's settled down, um, which I'm really happy for him, because he was, he was at that point in his life where there was nothing more he wanted than he just wanted to make a family. Yeah. So I'm glad he got out of it, and with someone else. He, he met True. someone, like I think, like almost two years after that event. So there um, anyway, is light at the end of this godforsaken tunnel. There is light at the end of the tunnel, there always is. And, but part of it, now we're talking about settling down and all that. One of the things that gets covered in that movie is like the facade that we all put up that our lives, yeah. that our lives are like, see, our lives, our lives are like really crisp. <laughs> Freudian slip? And Freud, I don't think that was Freudian. But, um, <laughs> you know, Jesse, the main character, the, the, the guy, well, one of the main characters is, um, he has, you know, he's a published author. He's gotten some traction. He's a bestseller. He's married. He's got a kid. But, oh, now but we're what back was the book it, that like, he wrote about? What was, what, was, what was the content of that book? But his book was about when he was more hopeful and romantic and he met someone way back then. So he's still reminiscing, kind of wishing his life was like. Dude, the book was his, about the night with Celine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, on paper, you would think he has this idealized self and that he's doing successful great. author wife kid but what's on the inside you know when you peel back those layers when you peel back that facade and you see you know the nitty-gritty it's not as pretty it, it's, it's a mess and i i really like what is said where um celine tells them that's like you know everyone's kind of going through their own horrible times but you don't really know about it mm. like Every single person you talk through. Everyone's suffering like, about something. Everyone's suffering about something. And some more than others. And the reality is, is back to what I used to watch a lot of Jordan Peterson lecture. He's like, a fundamental truth about life is that life is suffering. And if you go oh, through yeah. every major religious, philosophical, whatever, like, yes, they're all going to agree on that. Like, life is imperfect. We are all in some way, in some form, Sisyphus rolling up that stone only for it to roll back down. I, I love that, man. And 
I think one of the great parts about it, if you read uh, Camus' Myth of Sisyphus, is after 90-something pages of him rambling, you totally should, is he says, we must imagine Sisyphus smiling, something like that, where, yes, that life is coming down and, you know, like you really have to push up that hill and sometimes it's a pain or a struggle or inconvenience every step of the way. But the beauty of it is, and I believe in free will, I know some people don't, sue me, is that you can exercise your free will and that you have a choice of it. Is there gonna you let it fall down or are you gonna, you know, I'm gonna go up that hill and I'm gonna exercise my will in this. And yes, a lot of uncontrollables come, but I think the beauty of life is you can always react to it. You you can always like kind of take in your hands, like what are we gonna do here? really interesting um i'm thinking about free will what you said about free will and i sort of agree and i sort of disagree okay i think we i think there is free will to an extent but i also feel like we you know we're traveling it's life is like a a weird choose your own adventure story where you're sort of traveling on this track that you can't really get off of, but you can dictate which direction you want to go in. Yes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like we're stuck on a track, yes, but we can make the decision to go left or right or forward or behind or what have you. Right. And and to me, that's interesting that you say that it is kind of a choose your own adventure. It's like, fortunately, unfortunately, there's a lot of, like, you don't get to pick who your parents are, what socioeconomic level, mm-hmm. and all these things. But, you know, mind you, I'm coming from an American, like, mindset of the rags to riches story, because we're all- Yeah, you also, you also have the immigrant. Um... Right, I'm also an immigrant. <laughs> You you have that you have a, a unique sort of take on this American ethos, right? And I'm telling you, the the world loves America because America makes you believe that you can accomplish anything. And while it's limited and there are a lot of injustices, I really do think you can do a lot um, with what you have. I think one of the scariest things was um, a good friend of mine. He's he's an Ivy League guy, mathematician at Brown, right? Um, look, humble origins, single mother. He went to public school. None of that prep stuff. I thought you were saying he's a single mother. I'm like, good for him. (laughs) Yeah. Right. No, no, no. (laughs) You know, he grew up with, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. And, um, look, the the guy's crushing it. He, he's getting his PhD right now. He's, he's, um, he's done a lot with what he was given. Um, but here's the thing so his parents live in one of these like places one of these spanish places where they're like there's like three families sharing one house and everyone has like a four type of deal Mm -hmm. and he's gone this is what shocked me so he's gone he's pretty accomplished up to this point um and there's also his neighbors and his neighbors are around maybe a year or two you know take or leave because there's like brothers too but around the same age and one thing that he told me always shocks him is the fact that, you know, he's aware. He's like, you know, I, I got really far and like, I, yeah. I'm, I'm grateful for these things, but 
these guys are still playing Halo Reach like I used to <laughs> when I was 16. Like, 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 and it's not to look down on them, but it's the harsh reality of like sometimes the further you get along in life, the people that you were off at the same starting point and the gunshot went off. They don't, they don't keep up. They don't keep up. And, and it's something that really gets worse as time goes by. And, and this is something like you and me, college graduates, you're going to have a master's degree in a little bit. Whether we want to realize it or not, like we basically have to try to mess up at this point because <laughs> we're on a successful track. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. You know what? Don't, I'm not going to go ahead and take that as a challenge because with, with everything that's been going on, especially with um, this whole coronavirus, my, the prospects of finding a job are looking more and more dismal with each day. Yeah, that is true. That is true. Even with a master's degree. Yeah, man. But, but even then, like, it's like it is dismal. And trust me, once you that, that job hunt is grueling. Um, but it's the fact that, you know, even say we have five, 10 rough years, you're actually qualified to do something not everyone else is. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, there's no denying that having, having, you know, a degree higher than a bachelor's is going to open up more doors than it wouldn't have uh, otherwise. But at the same time, you know, I know, I know people who just have, just have, who have a bachelor's degree and they're racking in right now, six figures right out of college. Oh yeah. And you know, it's, it's hard not to compare yourself to other people. It's borderline impossible. But when I hear that shit, it's, it's disheartening. It's really disheartening. I was like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? If they're doing that in our, you know, three times as successful as I'll probably ever be. Right. Right. And, and that's one thing I think about when, you know, people mention like, Oh, you know, you should have done a STEM major. You should have. Yeah, yeah. you know, I'm like, you, you know, arts you know, degree. What are you stupid? You know, the reality of it is if I could have done that and maybe really forced myself and given up any passion for life. Uh, you're I would, selling your soul for what? A paycheck? A paycheck? No, thanks. You know, I'd rather, I'd rather have, you know, a job that I somewhat enjoy and be somewhere in middle class, let's say, than sure. living in a penthouse and hating my very existence. Right. Right. And, you know, that, that, that's what it comes down to. That's like what I'd like to think. You know, that's, right, that's right. the optimist in me. But the pessimist and the realist and the nihilist almost is kind of like, you're going to be, you're going to suffer anyway. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're all well, going to well, suffer. But the reality of it is like money does make certain problems in life easier to deal with. <laughs> Daniel uh, Tosh, the stand-up comedian, has a really funny quick little skit where he's like, you think money doesn't buy happiness? Have you ever seen someone on a jet ski frown? they probably frown when they're inside their cabin and they realize that people <laughs> around them don't love them. Uh, damn. <laughs> um, but it, it comes down to like, these are not the things that make you happy. And if we're going back to this wild tangent we've had from this film, I think one of the things, this trilogy, again, I'm, I'm in parts one and two. I need to watch. Oh, I can't wait trilogy. till you get to that last one. I can't wait till it breaks you like it breaks me. So, uh, one of the most valuable things you have in your life is literally the people you're around with and the people you connect with that 
that really Agreed. to me ends up being one of the most important Agreed. things. Yeah, exactly. That's why I agree fully. And that's why, like I said, these intimate connections and these intimate relationships, these human relationships are, you know, more important than any job I could ever have or any degree right. I could ever have, you know, because um, that's why yeah, I treat them so seriously. That's why I invest so much of myself into them because to me, that right. is my purpose. You know, people always say, what's the purpose of life? We don't have a purpose. We make our purpose. My purpose is to have that special human intimate connection. Mm. You know, t- to me, it's one thing, or even coming from a religious point of view, it's like you have God supply everything. But at the same time, like Christianity was never a hermetical religion. It, it was always a social one. Yeah. It was yeah. always about having people around you that believed in similar things and wanted to do good in their community. And now we have the bastardization of the Catholic Church, and we can get yeah, into the bastardization that. of the entire Christian religion, honestly, at yeah. this point. Honestly, at this point. But when you go and you look at these original teachings, it, it was community service. I mean, <laughs> like, like I don't want to call myself a biblical scholar because I'm not, I'm a classical scholar, but sure. in, in studying classics, I have to study, you know, the foundations and the, the early, the start of Christianity. And part of my thesis right. was on looking at late antique Christianization of pagan architecture. Um, okay. So I had to study the spread of Christianity and how it spread and the why they it spread. changed the, the Neptune Dude, statues to Moses. <laughs> I was going to say <laughs> that early Christianity, as it was when it was first being spread in the first century, is not what christianity is today at all absolutely not even in the slightest bit the same thing Mm. it's really it's shocking that you know if you took if you took a 21st century christian let's say you know a baptist a protestant and you drop them into first century a.d judea they wouldn't survive they i don't think they they wouldn't call themselves a christian so what was the main difference in your research that you saw between the, we'll say the classic, um, the early Christianity as opposed to 21st century? Well, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to say for sure because it was still, you know, they were working out the kinks, so to say. You know, there was the discussions sure. with, uh, what was the name, Arius? Arius. The okay. Council of Nicaea talking about the nature of God and of Jesus or, and right, right, right. who is who, is, did God, God be God? God exactly yeah you know it or was um, christ a created being like everyone else and it's exactly like, yeah, yeah. exactly and so you know without we take for granted what the early church founders you know decided uh, decided is not really the right word kind of agreed worked, on agreed on and worked out what the church stood for um mm. and so you know there's a lot of nuances and it's it's hard to really get into and and you know we've been talking for an hour now so Right, right. I, I wish I w- maybe next week we can get into like you know this sort of biblical breakdown of early Christianity. I'm down. I'm down. It'd be interesting to see where that yeah. takes us. Um, but but it's it's really interesting, you know, when you talk about like the vast differences, and it's like to me one of the main like things that stand that stood out to me. Um, I forget the name of the YouTube channel, but we always talk about a distinction between Judaism and Christianity. It's like, Oh, some of them, like they believe he was the Messiah. Others didn't. But well, Christianity talking, at first was called a, uh, a Jewish cult. Exactly. And that's what I was going to get at is like for a, 
good chunk of history. It's like you, you'll go to this like Jewish person's home and everything about is Jewish, but they happen to have a cross there. I mean, yeah. I mean, the emperors, um, uh, I mean, everyone knows Nero and, and his persecution of the Christians, but he wasn't the worst one. Um, Oh, Christ. I don't want to get the name wrong, but there was a, there was another third century. Um, was it Maxentius? That sounds right, but I, I don't know for sure. I should know this, but Maxentius, um, if I have the name right, was probably one of the worst uh, when it came to persecution of Christians. Because uh, there, there's this, you know, the old saying that Nero uh, crucified the Christians in the amphitheater in the Colosseum. Yeah, he, he laughed while uh, Rome burned. Well, that, there's that too, but that yeah. is not possible because the Colosseum wasn't even built until 20 years after Nero died. Right, 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 yeah. Anyway, um, do we want to wrap this episode up and we can, we can really delve into this next week? I'm, I'm down. I'm down because it's like, it's crazy, man. It's like, we're going to do such a rookie job at covering that, like, because you're looking at, like, okay, you're looking at the institutionalization of the church with Constantine. You're looking at the, the shit. People, people the forget how long, how long of a time passed between Constantine and Jesus. It was 300 years. You know, 300, 300 years ago, uh, we were wearing powder wigs and having duels. You know, like people yeah, really sure. don't understand how long 300 years is and what can happen. You know, the, the gospels didn't start coming up until 80 years after, after the death of Jesus. You know, Which is 80 years is a long time. Right, right. Yeah, dude. 80 years was one fucking radio was start, starting to get pioneered. I think what's uh, crazy about it is um, like when those documents like start showing up, like even the gospel of John, one of the commentaries I read on it, he's like the reason like if you look at the other gospels, they're all like miracles done by touch, right? Yeah. They're all like, Jesus touched people. When you look at gospel of John, it's always him speaking things. And one of the, like the theories on it is it was, uh, it was something written for that generation that never met the guy. Yeah, exactly. And what the author was trying to do is like, the word is just as good. And even if you go into the first part of John, it's like in the beginning was the word. So he's really I... focusing on that aspect of it. I think it'd be really interesting for us to get into like the apocryphal stories of the Bible. Oh my God. Well, it's time. Cause those <laughs> are, I want, the they're pretty trippy at, at times, you know, they fucking, they shoot out into left field. They're, they're wild. There's um, the, the, the gospel of Thomas with Mary. Dude, I was, I'm, yeah, exactly. I was thinking of the gospel of Thomas actually. And man, uh, it's, it's, I understand why, you know, it's not in the canon, so to speak. Yeah, there's a reason for it, but I think the value of them is like they address real questions these people were having, and it, and it's not like now where you have a vast archive of things and various scholars. This is still a ragtag religion, in my point of view, hmm. and they didn't have that wealth of knowledge to go back on and what did this council decide on, or you know what part of the orthodoxy are you leaning into. I think one of, uh, and we'll stop here. I think one of the coolest things I ever learned about was the Waldenses. I think it was in the Italian house. I might get it wrong, but there's this scraggly group of Christians that in the mountains that were basically a remnant. Like they survive 
like the whole schism they survived like they no were way. so secluded yeah that they were still doing like the wait do they exist there uh no they're out but you can view their like you can visit their homes and stuff Holy um, shit. had a buddy of mine actually like go there and see it in person but they had like you know og manuscripts of, of like before you have like people like um that wasn't john wesley <sighs> that guy that translated the the, the, um, the vulgate to english but before all that stuff happened like these guys would hand write it and like yeah all these parchments on the fly it was so cool what i learned about this. the thing. illuminated manuscripts yeah yeah it's really all right well really we can uh we can um we can close down this episode here and uh really interested to pick this back up again in detail next week all right sounds good thank you for listening um if you're you listening enjoyed. this was fun um this was <laughs> This was the uh, second episode of the um, Sunglasses Indoors podcast. Par for the course. Par for the course. All right, guys. Uh, we'll see you next week. Stay frosty. Stay frosty. <laughs>